once again. Um, it's good to see you all here this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Brian, and I'm the associate pastor here at Redeemer. Shannon, our lead pastor and primarily, primary preacher, is out at town this weekend on filling in this morning for him. But we're going to continue looking at the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to read the first 30 verses of Daniel. And as always, if you have your Bible, um, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. So this is the word of the Lord, Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. of the king who had gone out to kill made the matter known to Daniel and Daniel went in and requested invitation to the Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hannah and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not
to living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. This is the word of the Lord. This is a long passage that we're looking at today, and we're not going to be able to cover everything that needs to be addressed. And though we're discussing a dream, we're not even looking at the dream itself, what's in the dream, what it means. But what we are looking at today is the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, a dilemma and a divide. The dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the dilemma of Daniel, and the divide between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. Now each of us have found ourselves believing at one time or another that we are in control of our lives, or at least we live as though we are in control of our lives. And all it takes is one little thing to crash in and throw that off for us. We are moving, making our plans, working hard to fulfill our plans and achieve our goals. Then something happens that proves to us we're not in control. We never were. A child throws a tantrum in public that we cannot de-escalate. The AC goes out. The transmission dies. Perhaps you experience an unexpected job loss or you receive an unwelcome diagnosis. In those moments, trials ranging from the trivial to the traumatic or the tragic, we if we were, these trials wouldn't occur. Nobody wishes that these road bumps come. But when they do come, we need wisdom to help navigate them. And as Christians, we need wisdom to understand what God's purpose is in these trials. Do we have reason to hope? Or even when God may not reveal to us the purpose for our trials, it's wisdom that allows us to trust that he does have still a purpose for them. And when wisdom is needed, how is it acquired? From where? From whom is it acquired? The two men in our passage today, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, are two very different men who look to two very different sources for wisdom in their trying circumstances. Now let's look at the dream. What does Nebuchadnezzar need wisdom for? interpreting his dream. As we have seen in previous weeks, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He had recently conquered Jerusalem. He was used by God to conquer God's people, to bring them into exile, to discipline them for breaking the covenant that God had made with his people, Israel. Nebuchadnezzar is at the height of his power in the second year of his reign. Externally, it seemed like all was well, but internally something was wrong. Because Neb Nebuchadnezzar started having these dreams, unsettling dreams. Not just one, but multiple recurring dreams. Like Nebuchadnezzar, we have probably all had dreams that we found unsettling. You might wake up for your, from your sleep in a panic and remain distraught. Uh, this happened to my daughter a couple nights ago. Dreams have the ability to affect us um, pretty powerfully. And like many of you, I've had my share of recurring, unsettling dreams. Perhaps you can relate to these. Like being attacked by massive snakes. Even as a man now, about four times a year, 
I still wake up in a panic and suspicion that an anaconda or python is slithering and making its way up my bed. <laughs> it's about to eat me, right? Um, which is just absurd. I know it's absurd. But at 3 a.m., you don't think it's absurd. You think it's very rational, right? Um, but it's absurd because I, I live thousands of miles away from, or, or over a thousand miles away from the Florida Everglades, um, which they are reproducing. There's a big problem with big, massive snakes. I'll never go to Florida for that reason. Um, I also have this recurring dream, and this is a common one for many, that my teeth are falling out. Um, I can even trace this one back to my childhood, too, because I regularly would run into walls and chip and loosen my teeth and worry I was going to lose them. Um, And then in the New Testament, it's descending in a great, great white sheet in Acts 10. All of these dreams were given by God, and they clearly meant something. They went to great lengths using pages that they could know what's coming, using that information to somehow help them anticipate something that's coming. Maybe help them to prepare for the next battle or the next um, tragedy that might come. Help them brace for impact if something bad was coming. He thought was in complete control. You couldn't really have more control than he had as a man in that time. He was the king of Babylon. Well, this king had a dream that would challenge his sense of control. tell us the dreams effect on him. His spirit was troubled, so much so that sleep had left done by a dream. And we see this in how he responds. He responds in two ways, with angst and with anger. He responds with angst. He is fearful and anxious because of what this dream might mean. 
And for the king of Babylon, there's no momentary fear, like me and my snake dreams, but an ongoing one. Even when he had time to process these dreams, he still was kept. He was fearful. Why? He sensed his dreams revealed something about the future that he was not in control of. He didn't have the control to prevent something bad he feared was coming. It's fear because we are threatened by something or someone we cannot control. If a five-pound puppy came charging at me, wanting to attack me, I wouldn't really fear because I think I'm faster and stronger than a five-pound puppy. Um, But if a hundred-pound wolf came to attack me, I'd be terrified because I'd feel completely out of control of that situation. Nebuchadnezzar was fearful because he felt out of control. And this um, fear led him to ask his wise men what these dreams mean. And this, this angst even led into anger. In angst, he tries to exhaust all of his resources to try and figure out what his dream means. Um, he asks his wise men for wisdom. And these, these wise men, um, you know, the, the Bible uses... Uh, he, it, it mentions many types of people he asks to interpret his dreams. In verse 2, he commands the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell him what his dream means. These are the men he's going to for wisdom. Now, real quick, the, the Bible uses Chaldeans and Babylonians interchangeably. The Chaldeans were the Babylonians, the Babylonian Empire's rulers, best-known rulers during this time. And Nebuchadnezzar calls all this group, ironically, as the wise men of Babylon, this council of men to help him give counsel, wise counsel, help him interpret his dreams. And we're going to find out that this group is going to extend to include even to Daniel and his friends, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the king summons um, this group to tell the king his dreams, they respond with, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. That's in verse 4. But because he is so fearful of this dream, what it means, he demands they tell him the dream first, then the interpretation. He's not going to tell them himself. If he was to tell them his dream, certainly they could conjure up some meaning of it. But he feared that this dream was such a bad omen. He had to be certain of its actual meaning. If this dream was supernaturally given to him, he had to be sure the interpretation was supernaturally revealed as well. He didn't want to leave any chance for these men to just come up with something on their own. Um, He had to be certain that they could come up with the dream itself. Nebuchadnezzar then proceeds to threaten to kill and dismember the wise men if they don't do as he commands. The situation turns quite hostile. His angst over his dream has now led to anger as he fights for control of the situation. After the wise men ask for the dream again, his anger builds and he accuses them of trying to gain time and conspiring against him. They respond by saying that his command is unreasonable. Certainly we can relate to that. They make a statement that ironically has some truth to it as well. In verses 10 and 11, they say, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, 
and no one can show it to the king except the gods. Now, they are right in that. What the king is asking for can only be given by a higher power, can it? Unfortunately, neither Nebuchadnezzar nor his wise men know that higher power, the one true God. Because Nebuchadnezzar is not in control, he can't just snap his fingers and have his wise men tell him the dream and its interpretation. No amount of yelling or threats can do this. Although sometimes our sinful nature causes us to think so. That if we just keep raising our voice, making greater threats, that something, that some, somehow that is going to give us what we want. Nebuchadnezzar's anger continues, commanding now that all the wise men in Babylon be destroyed for failing to tell and interpret his dream. When trials come our way, when we feel out of control and we don't know who is in control, our human nature is to respond with angst and with anger. Nebuchadnezzar serves an example for us of fallen man. When man doesn't know God, he doesn't know wisdom. And trials come his way. And when they do, he is bound to act unwisely, angsty and angry. It's an unfortunate place to be. Now the dilemma um, that Daniel experiences, I want to look at that for a moment. Because into the story enters the man who does know the one and true God. As I've previously mentioned, Daniel and his friends are guilty by association with the Chaldeans. And thus they, too, are in danger of losing their lives. And the Babylonians come now seeking to kill them. But we're about to see that God has further plans for Daniel. Now, after being condemned to death, Daniel can either suffer the sentence of death, Why would he give Daniel this Israelite? But there's a truth that Christians need to remember when it comes to men's hearts. Even kings' hearts, God is still in control of. In Proverbs 21.1, we read, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This verse teaches us that God is sovereign over even our hearts, even our wills, even over the wills of kings. God can and does change hearts. He's sovereign over all. He doesn't even have to wait for us to ask for change. After Nebuchadnezzar had already decided that no more time be given, when Daniel asks for it, the king allows it. God grants Daniel favor in the eyes of this pagan Babylonian king. He allows him to interpret the dream. As Christians, we need not doubt what God can do. 
And just this little change, this is a detail that we can skip over, but I don't want us to, because we see how God intervenes, and God is at work in Nebuchadnezzar, giving Daniel favor in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes to come before him with this interpretation. And it's striking also how different Daniel's response is to a trial than Nebuchadnezzar's. You see, Daniel can respond the way he does because he knows God. He has wisdom given by God. And it says this earlier on in um, Daniel 1, verse 17. Of Daniel and his friends, um, it says that God gave them learning and skill, literature and wisdom. with prudence. Some translations use the word wisdom here, that he responds with wisdom. Daniel does not give in to fear. Certainly, he might have been tempted to have it. But instead, wisely, Daniel acts quickly and decisively, trusting that God can intervene, which is why he asks for an audience with the king before he is even given the interpretation by God. Don't miss that either. He does not have the interpretation yet but he wants to go before Nebuchadnezzar with it. One way to understand wisdom is that it is the right application of knowledge. Daniel is a man who knows God. He knows what to do with the knowledge of God. He acts boldly and decisively here, trusting in God, knowing what God can, what he might do. And after Daniel finds favor with Nebuchadnezzar, for the king does give him more time. He's going to allow him to come before him. Daniel then once again wisely goes now to ask his friends to begin praying for mercy concerning the mystery of the king's dream. So whereas Nebuchadnezzar went to his wise men for wisdom, Daniel went to the God-only wise. In verse 18, Daniel tells them to seek mercy from God, indicating to us that Daniel, he didn't pray with presumption. He knew that if God revealed to him the dream, it would be a gift of mercy. Words have meaning, and I think that word means something for us. Daniel prays for mercy. If God gave him the dream, it'd be an act of mercy. Be undeserved. This is important. When you and I pray, we're not to pray with an attitude of entitlement. We shouldn't pray assuming God is always going to give us what we ask for, that he's always going to intervene the way that we think he should intervene or the way we want him to intervene. And our experience teaches us this. There have been things we've prayed, we've wanted God to move in certain ways that for whatever reason in his sovereignty, he said no. No amount of faith is going to give us what we pray for if it is not in accordance with his will. But James 4, 2 does teach us that there are things we do not have because we do not ask. And there are also things that we ask for that God doesn't give us because we ask with sinful motives, because we want to use those to suit our own passions, right? So we can pray selfishly and sinfully. But here Daniel prays not selfishly, 
but in accordance with God's will. That God would intervene by giving Daniel both Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation. Daniel's also motivated by love for his friends. He doesn't want to see his friends perish. He's praying for them, that God would intervene to save them. When Christians are to pray, we are to pray humbly and fervently, and then leave the matter up to God. Leave it up to God. And here, we see that Daniel is able to do something that Nebuchadnezzar is not. He's able to sleep. The king isn't even... Capacity left to truly fear, man. What can man, what can man take from me um, in comparison with what God? And it is while Daniel is sleeping at night that God reveals the mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and a vision. God answered Daniel's prayer for mercy. Daniel is now ready to go to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if that were me, I might be tempted, as soon as I got that interpretation, to spring out of bed right there, go to Nebuchadnezzar immediately to make sure Nebuchadnezzar doesn't send his men to kill me uh, before I get him. I relay to him the message of the interpretation, right? Maybe you can relate to that. But not Daniel, because Daniel is not concerned about the time here. He knows God is, control of that, is in control of that. Daniel instead displays humility and thankfulness in praying to God, in acknowledging that it is God who gave him this dream's interpretation. It's not man's wisdom. And we even see this in the content of the prayer. If you look with me in verse 19, we read, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. What all attributes of God do you see present in Daniel's prayer? As to why Daniel had confidence. Why Daniel knew he didn't need to fear. That God is the source of wisdom. God is the source of all power. He's the one who Dwelling is not with flesh. I want to focus in on that last part right there. Scripture teaches us that this latter part is actually wrong. For in John 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1, 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? 
The Bible reveals to us the wisdom of God, and it reveals to us that God did indeed take on flesh and dwell among us for our salvation. When we were stuck in our fallen nature like Nebuchadnezzar, um, separated from God, there was a divide between us, we only had man's fallen wisdom to rely upon. God came, he took on flesh, he dwelt among us and made a way for us. He has made himself known. He's made his wisdom known to us in Christ. In Hebrews 1, the first few verses we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, Christians, Christ has lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He has suffered and died in our place, the death that we deserved for living unrighteously and in rebellion against the true king. And he rose again victoriously over death, proving he's powerful over death. He's powerful over sin. And one day he's coming back to make all things new. And when human wisdom says, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't dwell with sinful man. God's wisdom says that he took on flesh. When human wisdom says, earn your salvation, God's wisdom says Jesus earned it for us. And his invitation to us today is to turn from sin, turn from human wisdom, and turn to Christ, who is wisdom personified, right? And believe in him and what he has done for us. Throughout the Bible, we see God's wisdom shine forth in the darkness of the world. We see its superiority over human wisdom. We see, we see how it is so much different than human wisdom, than anything that fallen man could come up with. Here we see Nebuchadnezzar exhaust all his resources for wisdom, but found nothing to help him. Um, in verses 27 through 30, I'm going to read this um, real quickly. So Daniel does go. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar gives him time, gives him an audience. Daniel then, to end our chapter, where our passage today, Daniel does go. Daniel answers the king. It says, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. Right. And I'll stop there. Daniel knows that his wisdom is not from himself. Daniel knows that his wisdom is given from God. And we see this divide between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man, fallen Man. We see this example of Nebuchadnezzar, this fallen man. 
to see what happens when we experience trials apart from God's wisdom, apart from the knowledge of God. We experience anger, we experience angst, fearfulness, anxiety, hopelessness. But in Daniel, when he's faced with a trial, when he's faced with the possibility of death, he responds with prudence, he responds with prayer, he responds with praise, trusting in God. He knows who is in ultimate control. And that's, that knowledge sustains him. He knew what to do with it. Daniel is the example for us of a man of wisdom. And as we wrap up today, let me say a couple things. You know, your neighbor may not ever ask you to interpret their dreams. Perhaps they might. I once had a man on an airplane who actually asked me if he could interpret my dreams. <laughs> um, so it happens. But more than likely, it's not going to be your everyday experience. But still, people are desperate for wisdom. People are looking to various worldly philosophies, other religions, worldly theories to try to make sense of our world today. Looking to politicians even, and celebrities for answers. But in God's word, we have something far better than what anything else has to offer. We have something better even than dreams, right? We have access in God's word to the mind of God, to his wisdom. We have access to it. We don't need dreams anymore because we have his perfect, infallible, inerrant word. God's word doesn't fail. It is without error, and it is sufficient. Do y'all believe that the Bible is all that we need? It's all we need to know God, to, to everything that we need for Christian faith and for Christian practice, to follow Christ. We have it revealed to us in God's word. We have all the wisdom we need. This is the wisdom other people need and the wisdom we can share with them. When they wonder, what's the meaning of life? What's God's plan in suffering? Why does suffering happen? Why is there sin? Why is there death? Why do children get cancer? The questions go on and on. Let's direct them to the Word of God. Let's direct them to the Christ who offers hope who offers healing, who offers forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life to all who trust in him. Let's pursue this wisdom and fill up on it ourselves. And finally, trials present Christians with opportunities for God's wisdom to shine, to prove superior to worldly wisdom. God's wisdom and power here in Daniel 2 shine all the more bright against the backdrop of Nebuchadnezzar's depravity and worldly wisdom. And like Daniel, we can respond to these trials with prudence, prayer, and praise because we know the one who is in control. Daniel's statement that God might give Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar, the interpret sorry, Daniel's statement that God might give him the interpretation to give to Nebuchadnezzar was turned into later on in the passages I will give you the interpretation because of what God gave him. Daniel didn't ask with presumption. Um, but we, there are certain things that we can pray for and know that God is going to answer. 
the way that we ask. Um, there are some things that we might ask for in this life. We might ask for healing. We might ask for certain blessings that God may not give us. Even if we don't ask selfishly, God may not give us um, them. Because God has a reason. God, God is sovereign and he's doing things that we can't even imagine. He's at work in our suffering. Our suffering provides us with opportunities to live in such a way to direct people to God, to see that God is all satisfying, God is all wise, God is all good. And even though I'm, my life is terrible right now, God's good enough to sustain me, right? Um, that's the wisdom that God gives us as Christians. He, God, offers us to, God offers to us. But there are also some things that we can pray for. Because the Bible tells us this, that if we ask God for certain things, God will give it to us. If we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. If we ask God to come and make all things new, God's going to do that because he's promised us. There are certain promises that we can hang our hats on, right, that we know are going to come to pass because God promised them. So let's cling to him, the God who is all-wise, all-knowing, all-good. Let's not let our circumstances define for us how good God is. God has revealed it in his word. Let's trust in God. Let's trust in Christ, wisdom personified, who came and made a way for us. And let's, let's respond. Let's live lives of prudence, prayer, praise, not to earn anything from God, but because God has revealed himself to us. Because God has redeemed us. God has saved us. He's proven himself to us. And we know that he's, that he's good. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you do know all things. And you do all things well. Your ways are so far above ours. Like Daniel, we say, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. God, we admit we often fail to act wisely, to embrace the wisdom you have revealed in your word. We confess we often want to control what belongs to you. We respond to trials with angst, with anger, rather than with prudence and the resolve to trust, to obey you. God, there is no one like you. Your wisdom trumps all other earthly wisdoms. And I pray that you would please humble us this morning, that you would give us wisdom, that you would increase our trust, that you would fill us with your wisdom and give us the courage to live for and be used by you, even when it may cost us. But we thank you for this truth in 2 Corinthians 4. That this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, would you give us this perspective? Would you give us an eternal perspective? No human being had this perspective perfectly other than Jesus, who is God, who became flesh, 
who came to make his dwelling among us, to do what we could not do, died the death that we deserved, and then overcame death on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is one day coming back for us. And all of our hope is in you, God. In life and in death, we hope in you. And we do pray, Jesus, that you would come quickly. There is so much darkness, there is so much suffering, so much sin, so many things we long for you to come and make right. We long for your righteous rule and your reign. And we long for you to come and make all things new. Finally, we pray that if there is someone here who does not know Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, we pray that as you have your way with the hearts of kings, you would have your way with their hearts now. Open their hearts to you by your Holy Spirit and breathe new life into them. Give them faith. And Lord, we pray for all of us that you would have your way with all of our hearts this morning. Increase our faith. Increase our trust in you, God, knowing that you are in ultimate control. Your ways are better than ours. God, we look to you. We look to you. And we pray this all in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.